many of you glad to be in God's house today? Amen. I've got a great word for you today from Acts chapter 18. It's a word that's going to bless you and encourage you and minister to you right where you're at today. It's a word about overcoming fear and discouragement. And I know in 2020 there might be a few of us that have had a few moments, if we're honest, of fear and maybe even a few moments of discouragement. But we serve a God who is above all of that. Amen? And we're going to learn about how we, as God's people, can overcome in every circumstance, in every obstacle, to overcome fear and discouragement. And so Acts chapter 18 is where we're going to be today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, in the midst of uncertain times, there is uh, something that is a sure foundation, something that is certain, something that does never fail or return void. It is your word. Right now, even our own lives are being upheld by your word. Lord, you are the word made flesh and that you did dwell among us and that you did die on the cross for our sins and that you have redeemed our lives from destruction Lord, without you, we were heading to certain doom, but you have interjected, you have intervened, you have entered into our world and into our lives. And so, Lord, we receive, we have received from you grace and mercy and peace and your love. Flood our souls with joy as we spend time in your word. Lord, for those who may be fearful here or listening online, Lord, I pray that you would set us free from fear today. Lord, those of us who may be battling discouragement now and certainly will face discouraging things in the future, help us to, to know these truths so that we won't have to go through life fearful or discouraged, but the overcoming victorious people that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 18, I, I just want to set the stage for you here. The Apostle Paul is on a missionary journey. journey. He's traveling from town to town. And he's experienced some great fruit on, his, on, on this missionary journey. He's also experienced some hard times. And where we find Paul now is he's, he's leaving Athens and he's moving from Athens in Greece into a southern part of Greece, and he's passing through a town called Corinth. And, and we're going to pick up the story here in Acts 18. I'm going to read through it, and then we'll walk through how we can likewise, like Paul, overcome fear and discouragement. It says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And when they had opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. 
And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people." And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. This man Gallio is a governor in this region of the Roman Empire. And so the Jewish people are uniting from these regions and they're going and they're taking Paul before this governor and attacking him in a legal way. And they're saying in verse 13, this man, Paul, is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. And so in in Paul's day, uh, for there to be a religion, it had to be sanctioned by the Roman government. There was not freedom of religion like we have in our day and age. If you want to start a new religion today, you can go out and do it. We have freedom of religion in this country. If you want to worship the flying spaghetti monster. You can go and start that religion today. You can incorporate, get your 501c3, freedom of religion. That's not how it was in the Roman Empire. Every religion and every deity had to be, if you were going to organize and hold services, you had to have the state sponsorship. It had to be approved by the Roman government. And Judaism was one of the state's uh, approved Religions, And so the Jews could organize themselves into synagogues, into these communities of worship, and they could gather to worship their God. Now, Paul has shown up on the scene, and Paul is going to the Jews, and he's, the message he's bringing them is, Jewish brothers, the Messiah we've been waiting for, he has come, and his name is Jesus. Jesus has fulfilled all of the promises and the prophecies that God has made to us, his people. And now God is calling on us to turn from our sins and to receive his his Savior that he sent, Jesus Christ, our Messiah. And the Jewish people had rejected in large part this message. They had rejected Christ as Messiah. Everywhere a few people believe, and this had happened in Corinth as well, But now they they unite and they've tried to beat Paul up. They've tried to throw him in prison. They've they've tried to intimidate him. They've tried to do everything they can to shut this guy up. And it hasn't worked. And so now they're going to try and go through the courts, through the legal system, to try and shut him down. And so he comes before uh, this man. They bring him before this governor, Gallio, the proconsul of the area. And, and they tell uh, him that he, he's, he's doing something that's unlawful. Paul is breaking the law that, that he, he's practicing and preaching another religion that is not sponsored by the state. And so after they make their accusation, verse 14, Paul was about to open his mouth. He's about to make his defense. And Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing... 
or a vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. Basically, if, if Paul had done something violent, if he had broken some sort of law, if, if, if he was hurting somebody, if he was uh, de- destroying property, if, if he was stealing, if he had broken some kind of law, I would listen to what you're saying, Jews. Verse 15, But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And so basically he's saying, he's hearing their argument and that that Paul is saying that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one that the scriptures had promised and they're saying no, Jesus isn't. And and this governor just goes, guys, look, you're just arguing about words. You're arguing about names in your own book. You guys figure this out. I'm I'm not going to get involved in this. And so he, he kicks them out. He throws their, their case out of court. He refuses to make a ruling on it. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they seized Synethesis, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. What's significant about this is that this, when, when, when Gallio made this ruling, basically stating that Christianity is, is just a a larger part of this, or or an offshoot, rather, of this already state-sponsored religion, it gave Paul and the apostles the freedom to continue to preach the gospel for the next 10 years and and to continue to go and to go unhindered by uh, the, the law and the Romans and that they were under this approval from Rome. Now, going back to Corinth, this is where Paul finds himself. Corinth was about a 53-mile walk from Athens. Paul, last time we saw him, he was in Athens. He had made his defense in front of the philosophers of his day. He had preached the gospel. There hadn't been much response there. There hadn't been much fruit there. And so Paul leaves Athens, and he goes to this place called Corinth. Corinth is in a strip of land. It's a land bridge that's about four miles wide, from northern Greece to southern Greece. And so it, it was strategically placed, the city was strategically placed uh, in the middle of these trade routes. And so people doing business, merchants, sailors, businessmen, government officials, they would stop in Corinth as they were passing from the north to the south or uh, the south to the north. It was only about four miles wide, this small land bridge. And in fact, in Paul's day, ships would actually um, unload their cargo and be placed on these large carts that would pull the ships across the four-mile stretch to the other side so that they didn't have to go all the way down through the the southern part of the island, which was about a 200-mile journey by ship. So it's this very intensely focused, compact area where there's all kinds of people passing through all the time. Nobody really lives in Corinth unless you're there to serve the people that are always passing through. And Corinth became known as a place uh, of great wickedness. And in fact, in Paul's day, it was the most wicked and immoral city in the world. Because as these businessmen would pass through, these sailors... Uh, these merchants, 
Oftentimes they were coming back with bags full of money, having sold all of their goods and looking for something to spend it on, looking to have a good time. And Corinth became a place where you could do anything you wanted with anyone you wanted at any time. It was a city of great immorality and wickedness. And in our, in our day and age, we kind of have some cities like that, like Sin City, uh, Las Vegas. You know, we, have, we don't have this saying, but the world has this saying, whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? Except for bed bugs, if you get those there, they come home with you. But, but nobody lived there except the people that were there to sort of, you know, the bars and the, the brothels, and, and that's pretty much all that was there in Corinth. And you could do anything you wanted and you would leave and nobody would ever know about it because nobody that saw you there doing anything, you would never see them again. There's no community there. There's no inhibition there. People just did whatever they wanted, however they wanted to do it. This wicked and immoral city. And, and towering 1,500 feet over the city was this large hill, this mountain, on which sat, sat the temple to Aphrodite, who is the goddess of love or the goddess of erotic pleasure. And every night from this temple... 1,000 priestesses of the temple, and these priestesses were uh, prostitutes, would descend from the temple into the town and sell themselves to the people who were passing through. And Corinth was so wicked that the, the name of the city became synonymous with this type of debauched living. So that a, a euphemism or, or an, a way to say someone was a prostitute was to simply call them a Corinthian girl. And, and so this city is, is so evil and so wicked, and this is where Paul finds himself. And I believe that as Paul comes to this city, that he is in a difficult spot. He comes, number one, all by himself. He's alone. He's left uh, Timothy and Silas behind. He's traveling now by himself. And if you look over the journey that Paul has been on, these last several months of his life have been very hard, have been very difficult. This missionary journey has had some good fruit, but it's also had intense trials and persecution. And even before he left on this missionary journey, he got into a huge argument with his best friend, his closest friend in the faith, Barnabas, someone who he had gone to war with for, for the Lord and, and, and been in the trenches of ministry together, they have such a sharp argument and sharp disagreement that Barnabas splits off from Paul and forsakes him and leaves and, and will not travel with Paul anymore. And so Paul takes another companion, someone that's new to him. He takes Silas with him and they begin to travel on this missionary journey. And we've seen that as they traveled, they faced many closed doors, many uh, trials. They, they, they came to Philippi, the first city that they ministered in Europe. Paul and Philippi and Silas, they were beaten with rods, placed in stocks and bonds and locked in a dungeon. Unlawfully, unjustly, only because they were preaching the gospel. 
God, of course, delivered them from that prison in a mighty, miraculous way. But then they were ran out of town. The, the Jewish people that opposed them ran them out of town, and they had to leave. And so now they leave beaten and battered and bruised. Having spent the night in jail, they, they go to a city called Thessalonica, and they begin to share the gospel there. They begin to preach the gospel there. And once again, some people believe, but the vast majority of people reject Christ and oppose Paul and Silas so fervently and intently that they make a plot on his life. They're trying to kill this man to shut him up. Paul has to escape in the middle of the night. He heads to a town called Berea. And, and in Berea, some people had received the Lord and received God's word with gladness. But when the people from Thessalonica heard that Paul was in Berea, they left their town and went to this town to stir up a riot and to persecute Paul and Silas and Timothy. And just think about how much you have to hate someone that you are willing to leave your life behind just to travel around and make life difficult for this person. This is the intensity with which Paul is doing ministry. He, he's alone now. He, he left uh, Silas and Timothy behind. He went down to Athens, the city full of idols. Paul was given a hearing in, in the, 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 the place of, of, of where the community would gather and, and he debated with the philosophers of his day and, and he gave this incredible speech about God and, and how God is the creator and, and how they have this idol to the unknown God. But he says, I'm going to tell you about the unknown God and that you can know him. You can have your sins forgiven and, and you can enter into his family. And they just laughed at him. They mocked him. They called him a babbling fool. They, they, they didn't run him out of town with persecution. They ran him out of town with laughter. It tells us only about two people in Athens that were converted. So Paul now leaves Athens and he's following the, the leading of the Holy Spirit in his life. He wants to be obedient to the Lord who appeared to him, who saved him, who called him. And he heads now to Corinth. And having gone through all of that, he comes into this city, the most wicked city of his day. And every night he watches as these 1,000 prostitutes descend from the temple into the town and the, the revelry and the partying. And, and this is where Paul is and he's all alone. I believe he's discouraged. I believe he's fearful. Why, why do I believe that? Well, how would you feel if you had been through that the last few months? I would submit to you, you would be a little bit discouraged some, some of us have been discouraged going through 2020 and the challenges that we've had. And, and the challenges we've had in, in 2020, dealing with the pandemic and the political season and, and all of this stuff, it's a little bit discouraging, can we be honest? Not, not necessarily what we were hoping for on January 1st, that this is where we'd be on October 18th. Not necessarily. And I would submit to you that Paul has been through much more in the last few months of his life than, than we have been through. Nevertheless, we can become discouraged. I believe he is discouraged. But it's not only my reading into it, it's not only my wild imagination that I have. If you flip over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul later writes back to this church he started in Corinth. He writes them this letter. And he reflects on his time there. 
And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, he writes about when he came to them. As he came to them from Athens, he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Paul, from his own words, says that he is with them in weakness, not a position of strength. He doesn't roll into Corinth with his tank on full. He's coming in with his gas tank on fumes. Have you ever driven with a car, a, a, driven a car with a gas tank that's on fumes? You push the gas and it doesn't go. Have you ever run out of gas before? I once ran out of gas, literally. My car died as I was pulling into the gas station. And I just coasted to the, to the nozzle, whatever you call that thing. And I just said, the favor of God. Thank you, Jesus. Anyway. You, you, you push, when, when, you're, when your tank is on empty, you, even though you might have the desire to move forward, you push on the gas and nothing is there. There is no strength, there is no power. That's what discouragement can be like. And God is calling all of us as his people to press on, to move forward. And you might be there pressing on the, the pedal of, of, of trying and, and wanting to be faithful and wanting to move forward and wanting to be the person of God and you just feel it sputtering. I believe that that's where Paul is at. In weakness, he says, he entered into Corinth. Not in a position of strength, but very weak. Possibly injured from the beatings he's taken, possibly sick in his body weakness. He says he's also full of fear, afraid. Are, are these people, are they going to leave me alone? Are they going to keep chasing me from town to town? Am I going to have to endure with these people the rest of my life that are trying to kill me? Fear. It says he's so fearful that he is even trembling. So afraid that he is shaking is the position and the place that Paul finds himself in. If you flip over with me to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes this letter. He actually writes it from Corinth. And, and we see in this passage that Timothy visits Paul, Timothy and Silas, that they come and they reunite with Paul. And Paul, writing back to the Thessalonians, he writes to them about when Timothy and Silas arrived. Verse 6 of 1 uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, he says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers... In all our distress, distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Timothy had come from Thessalonica and he brings with him this good report that the church there, even though Paul was only there for two weeks before they ran him out of town by trying to kill him, the church has remained faithful. The church has stayed steady and strong. And Paul says, in the midst of all of our pain, in the midst of all of our suffering, in the midst of all of our affliction that we were in in Corinth, when Timothy showed up with this good news, 
we, we, we came alive again. We, we, we now live knowing that you are remaining faithful to the Lord. So I believe that Paul is discouraged. I believe that Paul is fearful. Why do I think that he is? Well, he, he says that he is. And also because Jesus appeared to Paul and said, don't be afraid. And I have to think that Jesus wouldn't appear to Paul and tell him not to be afraid if Paul wasn't afraid. And so like Paul, we too, as we finish out this year, as we head into uh, the, the holiday season and, and, and we're looking now to 2021 and having everything that we've gone through in this year, all, all the hardship, all the pain, people we know and love possibly becoming sick, even within our own families, maybe the loss of job, the, the loss of income, and, and when, with that, the loss of hope and the loss of dreams and, and plans that had been made, and, and, and even people within our own families that have, have gone through hardship and, and trials. And I believe that we can become discouraged and fearful. These are discouraging things, and we have to... We have to press on in the midst of discouragement and fear. But I believe that God wants to set us free from discouragement and fear. And so we're going to look at three things today, three things quickly from this passage that help Paul. Ways that God helps Paul to move beyond his discouragement and fear and remain faithful to the Lord. I'm going to give all three of them to you at once, and then we'll unpack them together. The first thing is that you need the right people in your life. If you're going to overcome fear and discouragement, you've got to be surrounded with the right people. The second thing is you've got to hold on to the right promise. And the third thing is that you have to have the right purpose in life. So let's unpack these together. The, the right people. Well, where do we see this? Well, as soon as Paul gets to... Corinth, he's met with this couple called Aquila and Priscilla, these, these Jews that had been kicked out of uh, Rome, and they were Christian Jews. They come and they meet with Paul, and immediately they befriend him. Immediately they bring him into their home. Immediately they begin working together and making tents together. And, and I believe that having the right people in your life will keep your tank full will keep your tank full. We all need people who can encourage us. We all need people who can build us up. This couple becomes so beloved to Paul that he writes about them in his letters three or four times. In fact, in Romans chapter 16, he says that they even risk their own lives for him. They make this intense connection, this intense bond, and this intense community that they have together. The right people will help us overcome fear and discouragement. You know, it's after Paul meets Aquila and Priscilla, it's after that that he begins to minister in the synagogue every Sabbath day. It's not until he, he meets them and, and he begins to be encouraged by them, and he has, now he's not alone anymore. He's surrounded by the right people, that he has something left. Now he can go and start giving and pouring out again the right people. Then now Silas and Timothy show up from Macedonia, and now things get going. Now things really get going. 
because they show up and they bring back this glowing report. Hey, all of the pain, all of the sorrow, all of the beatings, all of the persecution, it wasn't for nothing. There was a purpose behind it. There was a plan behind it. God has been faithful, and the people have remained faithful to God. This brings Paul so much joy, this word of encouragement from Timothy and Silas. you got to have the right people in your lives. you got, you got to have people in your corner who, who love you, who care about you, who will teach you, who will tell you the truth of God's word, who will encourage you when you're down, who will pick you up, who aren't constantly, you know, just talking about negative things and how everything is always wrong all the time. And I, I, have, I have enough of that, all right, right? I, we don't need any more of that in 2020. We, I don't need to hear any more about how everything is wrong. I know it. I don't need to hear any more about how everything's a mess. I know it. Amen. We need people in our lives who can encourage us, who can build us up with the truth of God's word. You might say, well, I don't have any friends in life. I don't have anybody. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. Let me tell you what the Bible says about that. Because I believe that we're all supposed to have people in our lives who can encourage us and build us up. What does the Bible have to say if we don't have friends? Well, Proverbs 18.24 says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. And there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. What does this mean? This means if you want to have friends, you got to make friends. you gotta, you got to go out of your way to, to be kind and, and to be friendly to others. But you can't just sit there and say, I don't have any friends. Nobody likes me. Nobody cares about me. I post stuff on Facebook and nobody likes it. If if that's your attitude, guess what? You're not going to have any friends. Because that's not very friendly. You sit there at church. Nobody talked to me today. <laughs> Somebody did come and try and talk to you. They said, hey, how are you doing? Well, I'm not doing very good. Nobody likes me. <laughs> okay. Listen, if you want to have friends, you got to be friendly. If you want to have community in your life, which we not only want, we need, you got to be friendly. You got to put yourself out there. You have to befriend others. You have to make community. Reach out to people. Invest in people. Love people. Encourage people. If you're doing those things, you will never lack for friends. If you just sit around and bemoan the fact that nobody likes you, guess what? You're not going to have any friends because you're not being friendly. You're not putting yourself out there. You're not investing in other people. I've seen it my whole life. The people in the world who have the most friends, 
They're the people who invest the most in other people. The, the people who give the most, the people who share the most, the people who love the most, those are the people that have the most friends in the world. It's the people that are always taking, they're always worried about themselves, they're always focused on their own problems. Woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. It's not friendly. The question before us is who are you befriending? Who are you befriending? Galatians 6.2 says this, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is this law of Christ? Paul tells us in Galatians 5.14, the entire law is fulfilled in a single decree, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, what the devil wants us to do is he wants us to be fearful. He wants us to be discouraged. He knows that having godly people, friends in our lives that can build us up and encourage us, he knows that that will, will push us past fear and discouragement. And so he tries to keep us isolated from one another so that when the stuff of life happens and life happens, that we will live in fear and discouragement. But what the scripture tells us is that we must, as God's people, not focus on our own problems and our own burdens, which we all have, amen? amen. Anybody in here have no burdens today? Right? We, we all come in, we all have stuff going on in our lives. But the instruction to us in scripture is bear one another's burdens. Carry somebody else's load. Help somebody else along. That if we all just sit there and in our own stuff, and well, I got my own problems, I got my own stuff to worry about, I, I got my own affairs to tend to, we will never carry each other's burdens and we'll never be able to have that community that we're supposed to have, loving one another and serving one another. And we can't just all sit here and say, well, they have to go first. Well, once they budge and help me with my burden, then I'll help them with theirs. It doesn't work that way. We have to start loving and serving each other, loving our neighbor as ourselves, bearing each other's burdens, showing ourselves to be friendly. And if we will do that, we'll never lack for friends. We'll always be surrounding ourselves with the right people who can encourage us. Amen. I know it's tough. Um, especially nowadays where so much communication happens um, digitally. People are very socially awkward right now. And it's only going to get worse. And you might say, I have a lot of anxiety going up and, and like talking to people. Hey, welcome to the club, all right? This is the social anxiety club. We're, we're all in it. It's called being an American in 2020, right? Like, it's awkward, it's unusual to reach out beyond yourself. But it's what the scripture calls us to do. And it's what Jesus himself did as he came from heaven to earth. And so we must push past the awkward. We, we must push past the inconvenient. We must push past our own inhibitions for the sake of love for the sake of loving one another and being obedient to our Lord. Amen.
the second is the right promise. We have to have the right promise. Well, what was the promise that God made to Paul? He appeared to him in a vision, verse 9. He says, do not be afraid. Go on speaking and do not be silent. Why not? Why not be afraid? Look what's going to happen. Look what's happened to me in all these other towns. It's probably going to happen to me here. I'm probably going to get beat up. I'm probably going to get thrown into jail. I'm probably going to get run out of town. He says, don't be afraid. Keep preaching. Keep speaking. Why? Verse 10, because I am with you. This is why we don't have to be afraid. No matter what happens in our lives, God is with us. This is not just a promise for Paul. This is a promise for all of God's people. God is with us. When it's good, when it's bad, when it's light, when it's dark, when it's sunny, when it's raining, God is with his people. God is with you. You are not alone. You are never alone. Paul, though he may have felt alone, he's reminded of this fact that he is not and that God is with him. I want to show you from from a couple other scriptures this incredible truth, this incredible promise that we have to hold on to. Exodus chapter 3, flip back there with me in your Bibles. Exodus 3, the second uh, book of the Bible. In Exodus 3, we see a man named Moses. He was a prince in Egypt. He fled Egypt because he was afraid. He flees for his life. He runs out into the wilderness. He leaves as a 40-year-old. He's now an 80-year-old. He's on his second career. He's a shepherd in the wilderness as an 80-year-old. God appears to him in a burning bush to Moses, the shepherd, and says, I want you to go back to the city, to the nation that you fled because you were afraid. I want you to go back to that nation. I want you to walk into the capital. I want you to walk into the castle. I want you to walk right up to the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. And I want you to tell him, God says, let my people go. God's people were enslaved in Egypt. God was calling Moses to go and make this bold declaration to the king of Egypt to let his people go. God is saying, Moses, it's time for you to move on from your second career and into your third career in your 80s. Well, how do you think Moses responded? Great, just what I've been looking to do. Been looking to move out of this wilderness leave my lucrative business of tending sheep behind and step out in faith, step out into the unknown, walk into the most powerful country in the world, stand before the most powerful man in the world and declare to him that he is wrong and that he must free all of his slaves. Yes, that's exactly what I would like to do. No, that's not what Moses said. What would you think if God told you to do something like that? I think you would immediately come up with a list of your shortcomings. This is why I can't. This is why it won't work. This is why I don't have the resources. These are my lack. This is what I can't do. All of the excuses we would make before God, guess what? That's what Moses does as well. Verse 11, Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? I'm just this failed shepherd, ran out of the country. I'm living in fear. I'm living in hiding. I'm not a courageous person. In fact, I don't even speak that well. I have a speech impediment. I stutter too much. Who am I, God, that I could do this? 
You've got the wrong Moses. Look at what God tells Moses. God said, but I will be with you. Listen, it's not about our lack. It's not about our problems. It's not about the, the, all of the reasons why we say we can't X, Y, or Z. None of that matters when God is with us. None of that matters. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one. God blows past all of his problems, all of his issues, all of his shortcomings, and he says, I'm going to go with you, and that settles the issue. You don't have to be afraid because God is with you. Joshua chapter 1, moving forward in the story, Joshua, who's the successor of Moses, he's untested, and now he's being called to lead the nation of Israel into their promised land. God appears to Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. He says, Joshua, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Why not? Why can't anyone stand before me? Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Verse 9 of chapter 1, Joshua 1. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 23. Flip over to Psalm 23. The most famous psalm in the Bible. David writing. David was someone who faced a lot of fear. A lot of persecution. He ran for his life from the king of Israel, Saul, for many, many, many years. He writes this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God's going to take care of me, he says. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's provision. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's bad. That's intense. Even though this is what I'm walking through, he says, I will fear no evil. Why? How, how can you not feel e fear of evil walking through the valley of the shadow of death? He says, because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Finally, in Matthew 28, Jesus, as he ascends into heaven, he makes his declaration to his people, to us. He says that he will be with us even to the end of the age, that he will never leave us or forsake us. We don't have to live in fear because God is with us. This is the right promise that we hold on to as God's people. He is with us. It's not just for Paul. It's not just for Moses. It's not just for Joshua. It is for all of God's people. We move forward in faith, not in fear, because he is with us. 
We may go through difficult times. We may walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But he is there with us in the midst of it. And he prepares a table before, for us in the presence of our enemies. Even while people are attacking us. Even while people press us on every side. God provides for us. He takes care of us. And he says, if you will just look behind you, what you will find is that goodness and mercy are chasing you down. Goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And I might be going through a difficulty. You may be going through a hardship. You may be enduring fear and discouragement. But let me encourage you with the right promise. Goodness and mercy are following you. They are going to catch up to you. You don't have to live in fear. God is with you. God is with you. The, the, the third thing for us today is the right purpose. God tells Paul, keep on preaching. Keep on teaching the word. Keep on sharing Christ. Keep on serving the people of Corinth. Yes, they're wicked. Yes, they're in all kinds of problems. Keep on loving them. Keep on teaching them the word of God. Keep on serving them. And God likewise has called us, his people, to love and serve others. You see, Paul is not living for himself. He's not just focused on himself and his own little tent business. He knows he has a greater purpose in life. Yes, he may have to make tents to provide for his needs from time to time, but this is not his purpose in life. His purpose in life is to love and serve others and to sacrifice himself for the good of others just like Jesus. And Paul is likewise not just living for this life. He's living with eternity in mind. And too often we as Christians lose sight of eternity, which the scripture tells us is our blessed hope. Paul not living for himself. Paul not living for only this life. Listen, one way to overcome discouragement is, is to look beyond your own present problems and to look at how you can love and serve somebody else. To lighten their load to help others. It will bring so much encouragement into your life to serve others. I know it seems counterintuitive. I know it seems upside down when at times when we're fearful and at times when we're discouraged to go out and move beyond that and into loving and serving others. Who's going to love and serve me? I, I know it feels counterintuitive. The reason why it seems upside down is because our brain is trained with the thoughts of this world and not the kingdom of God. Jesus says the first will be last and the last will be first. The kingdom of God is upside down from the ways of this world. But if you will begin loving and serving others, even giving out of your lack to bless others, you will never lack. You will always be in abundance if you yourself will pour out into others out of the reservoir of what God has given you. There's people all around us that need help. There's people all around us that need encouragement. There's people all around us that are in need, and we can help them. 
we can help them. You might not be able to help everyone. You might not be able to fix every problem. But who has God placed in your path? Love and serve them. Be a blessing to them. Who is your, your neighbor? Who is the lady across the street that just needs some encouragement, that just needs someone to help them and to bless them? Live with a purpose bigger than living for yourself and just taking care of your own little world. You may never start a, a feeding program that, that feeds millions of kids. I mean, maybe God's called you to that, and if he has, go and do it. But you can certainly help feed the family that's lacking in your neighborhood down the street. You could certainly pick up a bag of groceries and bless the single mom or the single dad or, or, the, or, or help take care of the, the kids while the parents are working or, or whatever. You can do it. You can be a blessing. And this is what Paul is pushed to by God when he says, keep thinking about others, keep teaching, keep preaching, keep serving them. So to overcome fear, to overcome discouragement, we have to be surrounded by the right people. We have to hold on to the right promise that God is always with us. And we have to hold on to and move forward in the right purpose. Yes, there's going to be difficulty. Yes, there will be times where we are afraid. Yes, there will be hardship and even discouragement. But we don't have to go through these things alone. And we can rise above them through the tools that God has given us. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to conclude in prayer today. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, that you teach us and that you instruct us. Lord, there's many things in life that we can be afraid of. There's many things in this world that we can be discouraged by. But Lord, you have given us your spirit. You have promised to never leave us or forsake us. You've brought into our lives the right people, Lord, that can speak life, that we can reach out to in our time of need, who can remind us of the right truth that we have to hold on to. And Lord, you've given us a purpose bigger than ourselves, a purpose to love others, a purpose to serve others, a purpose to bless people with what you have blessed us, Lord, that we would be a light and that we would shine your love. Lord, help us to not become so focused inwardly that, that we aren't able to be a blessing. Lord, help us to overcome fear and discouragement as we hold on to the truth that you are always with us. No matter what we face, we are never alone. You're always there with us. Thank you, Lord, that you give us your spirit, which is the power to move forward in the face of obstacles. And Lord, bring people into our life that can encourage us. But Lord, bring people into our life that we can encourage. Help us to be, through the power of your spirit, the people that do speak life and remind others of the truth, the right promises. And Lord, we know that you keep all of your promises and that in Christ Jesus, they are all yes and amen. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap this morning. Appreciate all of you and uh, we'll see you soon. God bless you.